Suzanne. Chicken joke. I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We're on a mission from God. technology you had me at hello baby you're the great i'm not gonna be ignored go ahead make my day i got nowhere else to go small cowbell that bad there's anything wrong with that you can't handle the truth i'm not an actor i'm a movie star the story of my life. No respect. I'm gonna get no respect at all. I'm the dude. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And now for something completely different. There's no business like show business like no Hollywood Hides. This is podcast episode number 44. My name is Bob McCullough. And my name is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. Suzanne, today is a pretty special day. Tab Hunter. We're talking to one of Hollywood's all-time legends and a local Santa Barbara guy. And we've been dying to interview him and it's going to be fun. And Tab is hot in the media right now. We'll, we'll, well learn he, all about that. He has a book. He has a documentary out. Uh, yeah. It's he, Anyway, we're going to talk to a guy who is... Uh, had an incredible background and career, and I cannot wait to hear the secrets to his success. You know, today, I want to tell our audience before we get started, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free membership at audibletrial.com slash wherehollywoodhides.com. 200,000 different titles, that's a lot of books. You're not going to listen to all of them, but pick one that you just don't have time to read, go to the website at wherehollywoodhides.com, click on the link, or just go to audibletrial.com slash wherehollywoodhides.com, pick up a free book. It's free! Or you can purchase one of our books, Where Hollywood Hides, Santa Barbara, Celebrities in Paradise. Where can you buy it? Amazon.com. Or on our website at wherehollywoodhides.com. That's right. Yeah, it's really the story of uh, legendary celebrities in the Santa Barbara area. Uh, it's a fun read. You'll learn a lot about what it takes to su- to succeed in Hollywood. You know, uh, speaking about celebrities, I read a really interesting article about Lily Tomlin. Oh, I love Lily Tomlin. You know, it's been 45 years since she first came up with the character Ernestine. Remember Ernestine? Laugh-In, absolutely. Oh, Laugh-In. I didn't realize that that character had started on Laugh-In. She was kind of an unknown, yeah. Well, now she is back and she is hotter than hot. She's in that new Netflix series called Grace and Frankie with uh, Jane Fonda. Oh, a fabulous show. You and I have watched it. It's it's a fun show. It's the perfect binge-watching show. It's about two women over 70. They are thrown in a circum- thrown into a circumstance. Kind of that, a very modern storyline. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And um, they are fabulous and funny. It's hysterical. And, um, and what's even, to me, more entertaining than anything... Uh, you see guys like Sam Waterston and Martin Sheen, and they're funny. You, you don't think of dramatic actors as doing comedy very well, but these guys are great. It's comedic and dramatic at the same time. It's very interesting. Um, also, uh, Lily Tomlin has a film de- debut at the L.A. Film Festival. The film that she's going to be in is called Grandma. She plays a poet, and she's traveling uh, cross-country with her granddaughter, isn't that sweet? That's, That's a great concept. And you know what's terrific? I think people keep working. Nobody ever stops working. That's fantastic. Anyway, so if anybody gets a chance to see Grace and Frankie, I think you will get a kick out of it. So Suzanne, Tab Hunter's background is incredible. This is a guy who got basically discovered and brought into the uh, Hollywood studio system when it was just at the end of its uh, era. And he wound up starring in movies like They Came to Cordura, uh, The Pleasure of His Company. Uh, he was in a great movie that I loved, The Loved One, a very, very hysterical comedy. He also acted with huge, iconic actors like Lana Turner, Natalie Wood, Linda Darnell. I mean, the list pretty much goes on and on. Not to mention the directors he worked with, people like Stanley Donner and William Wellman. I mean, these are classic, iconic directors. And I think we're going to hear from a guy who is actually much more than just an actor. Well, he also had a recording career. That's right. The big, big hit, Young Love, that was huge. I'm not going to sing a few bars for you. Thank goodness. But, it, yeah, the guy has had an incredible career, and the guy continues to be an incredible force in the media. He's got this uh, best-selling book back on the bestseller list and a new documentary that I have a feeling 
uh, could wind up being nominated uh, in that category next Academy Awards. So here's Tab. Good morning. Well, we really appreciate you doing this. I know sure that I, I know that you are a uh, professional interviewee. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, well, good, goodness knows you've had enough people ask you a lot of questions. And well, uh, I have over the years, certainly in my past life. And, and unfortunately, we were trying to be creative, but we're going to probably ask you the same questions well, that you've answered. Well, we, we kind of come at it from a little bit different perspective, Tab. Uh, both Suzanne and I have had fairly long Hollywood careers in the television industry. Uh-huh. Uh, Suzanne's an actress, and I've been a writer-producer for a long time. So we kind of understand uh, a little bit of what you've been through in terms of your career. Um, I was uh, almost, almost famous, so, you know, for, for <laughs> whatever that's worth. <laughs> and, uh, and and as it turns out, we love Santa Barbara as much as you do, and we've been here for 30-plus years ourselves. It's quite, it's quite a wonderful spot. Yeah, it really is. So, Tab, again, thanks so much for doing this because uh, I, I, I know how hard you work at the many endeavors you're involved in, including the new movie that's been debuted at South by Southwest, which is really... Yeah, that documentary's really, really taken off. I'm very impressed with that. what's happened with that, just overwhelmed by that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's everybody can make a movie, right? I mean, today's world of uh, digital imagery and stuff, but this is a big deal. Well, I think you know it's got, it's got a Alan is, knows how to produce, and that's what it's all about: knowing the story you want to tell. You know, if it were just Hollywood alone, it would be pretty boring. Right, right. Can you... I mean, it'd be you know a couple of fascinating stories and all that, but I just love the, the the route he chose on it. I think him following the book, I think that was quite a good idea. Sure. So give give us an idea. How did the how did the film actually come to pass? I mean, everybody has well, everybody has ideas, but no. What happened was I had done a book uh, a few years, quite a few years before that, and Alan then said to me, "I want to do a documentary on it." And he finally got, you know, talked me into that. And then we, uh, he said, that there's a director who's done a couple of uh, documentaries I think are quite good. We should go and meet with him. So we met with Jeffrey, and Alan pitched the idea to him, told him he'd like to hire him as director if he wanted to do it. And, uh, you know, we, they went on from there. They negotiated, and uh, Alan, we spent six years putting it together. Six years. That's that's impressive. Oh yeah, I mean it takes a long time. You know, you got to look under every rock to try to find somebody who will, you know, will, who will financially support this. Right. And and, and was that is is that where Alan came in? Well, Alan's a producer. I mean, he produced our film Less in the Dust many years ago, and we did television series quite a few years ago. You know, I right. mean, I've worked for a lot of producers, but a lot of them just they don't have this kind of smarts. He took something that had been a major bestseller, your book. Uh, but sometime later began developing it as a, as a picture. The book has now jumped up in the New York Times bestseller list again. Well, of course. Wonderful. Yeah, Wonderful. Sure. Now, that, was a, that was a shock. <laughs> what a, a nice a surprise. A nice shock. I wanted to ask you, Tab, um, how long did it take you to uh, write the book? Well, I was on it for, I don't know, for quite some time. I just, every time the spirit would move me, I would just sit down and put stuff in my computer. And I had about 500 pages in the computer. A lot of it was dead wood, but a lot of it was interesting, I thought. And then Alan said, uh, I've read a writer. We've, we tried a couple writers, didn't work out. And Alan said, I've read a writer by the name of Eddie Muller. I think you should read some of his work. So I read something he did on our, our good friend Evelyn Keyes, and I thought, oh my gosh, he really captured her beautifully. So uh, we contacted Eddie, and timing was everything. And the timing was right that Eddie said he would do it. So we worked together, I would say maybe, oh, a good year at least. And um, uh, I was very pleased with the outcome of that. Well, I have to tell and working you, with him was incredible. I uh, read your book, and I loved it. I oh, thank not, you. In terms of that kind of a book, in which you really do reveal so much very personal stuff, what was how, how did you deal with the trepidation of that? I mean, you, you knew you were getting a big, there had to be a big reaction. Well, if you're going to write something, you, you know, just don't give me a lot of hoopla. Let's just put it down the way it happened. And either people like Geraldine Page once told me, either people get your message or they don't. And if they don't, that's not your problem. That's uh, theirs. Uh, so just put it out there, and uh, that's it. And it was very difficult in many respects, but uh, by the same token, I was very cathartic. You know, it strikes me that your film persona as an actor 
was very polished and smooth and, you know, obviously attractive to every film goer of that generation. The word is gorgeous. Well, that, aside from appearances, you didn't you didn't really come across, oh gosh, I don't know, a Burt Lancaster, chest-thumping, courageous guy, yet in many respects, your life has actually been much more courageous than any of the roles you played. Well, you know, your life, you, you just go down the road. It's all a journey. We're all on a journey, and hopefully we'll learn something. You know, if anything, what not to do again next time. <laughs> right. But right. I do think the journey is an important one for all of us to remember about three very important things. Our growth mentally, our growth physically, and number one, our growth spiritually. I think that's very, very major. Very well said. And also, one of the great things about getting a little older, I think, is we come to realize the important things in life, and we get more courage, I think. truth is one of them. That's a very, very good thing that you just said, because, you know, when we're younger, we think we're bulletproof. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, everybody in the 20s is bulletproof. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, speaking of our youth and and kind of what sets us up for life, uh, let's go into the Wayback Machine a little bit. For those of the audience, our listeners are worldwide, and many of them have not had the opportunity to read your book. Give us a little bit of an idea of where you came from. You were born, I think, in New York, right? Yeah, I was born in New York City, uh, and um, I, have, I had an older brother, and uh, it was very, you know, I have no very, very slight recollections of that. Um, I do remember my father was what slight thoughts I have on that. He, he was abusive to my mother extremely. My mother left him and uh, came to California, and uh, we grew up here. And how old were you when you came to California? I was two. My brother was three, but I only have very, very slight recollections of sure. of, of, uh, of just, of, you know, of not good things. Right. And where did you go to school here? Well, I went to a number of schools, but my mother always felt that what you learn, no one can take away from you. So you've got to, you know, constantly work about developing and improving. So she, I, I went to private school. I went to my mother worked two jobs to keep us. We went to St. John's Military Academy, and then we went to a parochial school called St. Paul's. Then I went to a public school, which was, uh, you know, kind of like a joke because they don't, you don't learn anything there. I didn't think. Right. You know, I was a bad student at Catholic school, but I was a, an A student at public school and didn't have to hardly crack a book. I mean, it just goes to show you, I think you've got to have a parent or parents that are really supportive and push you to do things. But so often the parents don't take the time to really become that involved with their children or, or young people today just leave me alone. I have to do my own thing, which... Uh, doesn't help that much. <laughs> you know, I I thought in your book it was really kind of odd for me as a, as I was reading your book and how you described your mother. I ended up falling in love with her. I'm so glad to hear that because she was like, everyone who met her fell in love with her. She was it's, a very strong, religious, yes, old-fashioned yes. woman. I really admired her, and she was such a good mother, and she did the best she could. A single woman in those days had to be very that had to be very very tough for her. Can you imagine? But she was so positive. She was so positive. You know, anytime and she would meet people that had a negative thought in their mind, she would say, "Get rid of that. Don't think like that. You know, that's not good." You know, and she was a very strong woman, but uh, she really could, you know, lift you up mentally. And you know, she was just well, a, that's an how amazing I, person. Well, that's how I felt when I was reading about her. I f- you know, I'm so glad to hear that. But she was difficult at times, no question about that, you know. Well, but well, I think sure. I think discipline's a very important thing that people say, Oh, you can't do that nowadays, you know, you can't discipline your children. I don't believe that at all. Well, I just I, at least I can only go by well, you know, the way we were raised. And and I must tell you, the you are clearly the product of some discipline because you strike me as well, we we were very close friends with Mel Ferrer. And, oh, yes, of course. And Mel was a, from an Eastern family, very erudite, very patrician. Yet you strike me as someone with the same sort of self-discipline and upbringing because in many respects, you don't come off like an actor to me at all. Well, 
you know, and that's it, a compliment, Tab. No, 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 I, 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 and I do appreciate that because uh, you know when you're when you're thrown into the business, it's very, very difficult to to uh, to find your legs, so to speak, and to find your comfort zone in, in when all that hoopla is happening around you. But one of the most important things is is an expression that I just love about divorcing yourself from yourself. That's a major thing. So you're raised by a single mom. So you're a, you're a kid going to uh, Catholic schools. Tell us what, where you go from there. I lied about my age and went in the Coast Guard. And I was in there, but then they found out I was underage. And I was discharged from there. Was that um, was that was that an escape from something? Were you looking? It just I, I just had wanderlust, you know. And uh, but the good thing about it was I had a very good friend that I'd met at the stable when I was a stable boy when I was very young. And uh, Dick Clayton became my agent later on in life. But Dick Clayton I'd met at the stable, and he was an actor, and he did a play on Broadway. He was doing Hell's a Poppin' uh, on Broadway with Olson and Johnson. And when I was back in Connecticut at the Coast Guard Training Center, uh, I saw my first Broadway shows. So that was very interesting. I, often, I wondered how people could stand up there and, and, and create like that, you know, so beautifully. And Dick Clayton had been a fairly well-known actor at that time, and then he became... Dick a... was a pretty good actor. Yeah, he gave Jane Withers her first screen kiss, and he did a few, you know, parts here and there. But he, what he really excelled in is when he became an, an agent. You know, I was his first client, but he, you know, because... But he had people like Jimmy Dean, Jane Fonda, Burt Reynolds, Angie Dickinson. You can just go on and on and on down the list. Well, I mean, everybody right? wanted him to 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 handle him because he was such a an honest and wonderful human being. Is he the one who brought you into the acting fold? Oh, absolutely. He's the one who planted the seed. He's the one who talked to, introduced me to my first agent, Henry Wilson. You know, when Henry said, we've got to tab you something with a name, because Henry was always giving weird names to all of his clients. Henry Wilson is reputed to have been something of a Svengali, isn't he? Well, Henry was, you know, Henry was Henry. I mean, he didn't accept <laughs> people the way they are, you know. That, yeah. So Henry said, we've got to tab you something, and Dick Clayton said, well, he rides horses, hunters and jumpers. Why not tab hunter? Well, better than tab jumper. That's exactly what I always said. <laughs> really? So, but but did you have the confidence? I mean, you you come out. I of have none story. whatsoever. Are you kidding? I was scared of my own shadow. Yeah, I mean, if somebody came up to me at that age and said, "Hey, do you want to be an actor? You really look great," I would have freaked out. Well, you know, you're a kid. You go, well, what the heck? Let's try. Let's go. Let's yeah. go for it, my guy. And you don't think about, you know, those things. You have, you know, you're like I said, you're bulletproof. So you think you are. They brought you into the studio system at that time. No, I freelanced for a while. Did some freelance, little freelance jobs here and there, and then eventually I tested for a film at Warner's and was under contract and did that. What did your mom think about this at the beginning? Well, you know, people, I remember once I was, you know, in the public eye and all that, I remember some PR people said, oh, Mr. Galeen, aren't you excited about your son being in films? My mother said, that's nice, but Walter's the intelligent one. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> I love that. That, to me, is one of my favorite remarks my mother ever made. <laughs> because I remember reading in your book that she did not like any frills. Nothing, nothing, nothing whatsoever. Exactly. So Nothing for show was the word. That's right. And I would say nothing that's for show, right. and I went up in show business. You're right. Isn't that classic? You know, she never was very comfortable with any of that, and it was a good reminder to, you know, to be aware of what's really important. That's life. right. Now, I, I know you were very, very close to your brother. Tell, tell, us a yeah, little, was. Tell, tell us a little bit about him and your relationship and what that was like. Well, he just was—he was supportive of me, and he was—and uh, he was there for me because I was scared of my own shadow as a young man. And uh, you know, whatever he did, I wanted to do. It was—it was—it was wonderful. And he introduced me to the love of my life, which were horses. And and you lost him in, during the Vietnam War. Yeah, he was killed in Vietnam. You know, denying. Yeah. So tell me, you—you've loved horses. It sounds like almost all your life. What is it about horses? Well, I love the the simplicity of it. Uh -huh. I love these big animals that have a life of their own, and you have to try to communicate with them. You know, we have our mouths, we can just talk, but uh, with them we have to try to get into their thinking. It's just wonderful. And, and at one point in time, after Hollywood, didn't you move to Virginia? Was that it? I did have a farm in Virginia for a while, and I still go back there every every year and every chance I get because I love it. I love it back there tremendously. It's horse country, and I have horse friends, and it's just very important for me. And it's not Hollywood, right? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs>
So, so tell us about the early roles you had, because I can't imagine the very first day you wind up on a major motion picture film set and the chaos that is always involved in that sort of a thing. The first set I ever visited was a, a, a set uh, as, as a guest on the studio lot. But uh, the first time I was ever there to work was doing a screen test with Linda Darnell for a terrible film we did called Island of Desire. And, and, she, and I was, was, quite, that was and a nervous was... wreck, and she was wonderful. She pinched me, and she said, relax, I'm good luck for newcomers. <laughs> she was she... the best. Wasn't she your first kiss, if I remember correctly? First screen? Oh, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I love how it's described in your book. I <laughs> loved it. And she was quite well, a bit older than you. She was a beauty from Texas. And I was always a big fan of Linda, so I was nervous doing the scene with her. And I had to kiss her, and when I kissed her, uh, when we broke, the director said, cut, she pinched me, and she said, that was nice. <laughs> I loved Linda. She was an extraordinary woman. She really was. In a classic Hollywood tradition, you're a guy who had not served in the military, yet a vast number of your roles, you were in uniform. Well, actually, I was in the Coast Guard, but you can't call that. You know, I was just a kid there. Right. No, I, would, I did play a lot of military stuff and, you know, did a few Westerns. And, you know, well, just, I think, I I think... was just, and then all of a sudden I realized one day, you know, you got to learn. Learn this crap. It takes, it's just not something you do. You have to really put your you know, head to the, you know, sure, sure. start thinking about what's going on here. And actually, the first thing that really helped me was my friend Marilyn Erskine when I did a play called Orange and Heaven. And tell us a little bit about what you would consider to be the most difficult role you've had. I think they're all difficult if you want to, you know, when I look back on it, uh, if, if you want to try to really make something out of it you know, develop a character, but uh-huh. uh, it uh, different things, different reasons. I would say Portrait of a Murderer was one of the most difficult roles uh, on a Playhouse 90, which is live television, or the play, the Tennessee Williams play on Broadway, The Milk Train Doesn't Stop Here Anymore, was a very difficult role, but a very rewarding, wonderful role. Tell us a little a bit. Of people, a lot of people never understood that, but that's their problem. A little bit about live television you know most of our audience has no concept of live television what was that live tv in the old days they would do shows like philco playhouse 90 climax all of the studio one those shows where you did a drama for an hour a different script every week written by wonderful writers using fabulous directors and uh, you were doing a, a show for one hour on live tv With there was no there was no stop and go like filmmaking or no well there's tomorrow night like if you're doing a play it was just one shot and it was uh, it was very very difficult it was the worst ingredients of motion pictures and uh, <clears throat> the theater rolled into one yeah it's like really walking a tightrope because every every yeah, was, every mistake is there forever yeah, but it, you know the important thing. The, the live TV produced some incredible shows that were made into major motion pictures. Oh yeah, films like Marty, made, Days of Wine and Roses. Yeah, I right. mean, a number, number of very, very fine films. So you find yourself surrounded by real f- screen legends early on. One I noticed you worked with a number of times is Van Heflin. I loved Van. He was wonderful. Fabulous actor and a really decent human being. No, he was wonderful to work with, and particularly in Gunman's Walk. Yeah, he played your father in that, didn't he? Yeah, he was excellent, excellent. Now, I don't know what's going on between you and this Kliegab, but uh, whatever it is, she must brew some mighty potent medicine. Come on, Ed, I'm taking you in. No, you're not, Harry. You haven't got enough sheriffs in this state to take a son of mine in. You get that through your head right now. Bob? Billy. I want all of these men at the courthouse, and I want them armed. And those and those roles you were getting at that time were those under the Warner's contract? No, that was a lot loan out to Columbia. Gummins Walk was. You were pretty much the epitome of you were discovered, for lack of a better word. Had you had any acting experience or training prior to that? No, I did. I did do a play in school. 
Uh, I'll never forget. I did it because my brother did it the year before, and I wanted to do what he did, so I tried out for it the following year. (laughs) And as you were climbing up the ranks quite quickly, uh, were you taking any kind of acting classes, or your work was... Not till a little bit uh, later. Uh I did work with a voice coach for a while, Lester Luther, and I worked with uh, an improvisational class, but it was when I really got to working with Jeffrey Corey that it was uh, the best. Because Jeff Corey was brilliant. That was a big name. He, yeah. Oh, well, he was a fine, fine actor, and he was a wonderful uh, teacher. I mean, everybody in Hollywood, a lot of people in Hollywood worked with Jeff. He was excellent. What do you think, what do you think, uh, he, what, what do you think he brought to the party that others didn't? An insight. <laughs> I think that was kind of important. An, an, an awareness, a knowledge that was just incredible about building a character and things like that. He was quite extraordinary. And he also, I, I, I'd only met him once, he seemed to have a certain gravitas, if you will. Um, oh, gosh, when, I mean, when absolutely. He, when he spoke, you listened. You know? That's for sure. Well, I really worked with mainly, like, Gunman's Walk, I worked with him. I, the, the play with Tallulah Bankhead on Broadway, the Tennessee Williams play, I worked on that with Jeff. I worked on a, a number of things with him, on Damn Yankees, on a lot of different projects. So we we kind of jumping around here a little bit. I want to I want to tie something down real quickly. The studio system as it existed in those days was really the dominant force in theatrical film. Tell us how you came how they came to you. That contract was presented to you what you thought of that at the time, and what it ultimately, how it ultimately affected your career. Well, it was the end of the studio era. You know, the big stars were, you know, years before, but it was just the end of, of Hollywood uh, studio contracts was the time that Natalie and myself and, you know, uh, Bob Wagner at Fox and, and Tony Curtis and Piper Laurie at Universal. But it was wonderful. Um, Merv Griffin presented uh, a book to me, Leon Yoris's novel, Battle Cry. He said, Tab, you'd be perfect for the role of Danny. So I read the book, and I thought, wow, he reminds me of my brother, mm-hmm. his character. Mm-hmm. So I told my agent, it was Henry at the time, and he set it up for me to, I met Sally Biano and they did some tests. I did nine tests for that role. Then they weren't sure who they wanted. They went back to New York and tested Jimmy Dean and Paul Newman, and they still didn't know, couldn't make up their mind. They gave me one more shot. I did that test. I thought it was terrible, and that's the one that got me the role. <laughs> and then uh, I did... Uh, Je- Bill Wellman saw some footage and said, I want him for my next picture. So I did Track of the Cat with Bob Mitchum. And then after that, Warner thought, well, what the heck? We've, we've got two pictures to be released by him. We've got an option on him. Let's, uh, let's exercise the option. So they put me under contract. My first film was a sea chase with... Uh, John Wayne and Lana Turner, but I didn't have anything to do in that one. That must have been exciting. Well, I wanted to do more, but I loved meeting Lana because I was such a nut about her. And, you know, Wayne, my gosh, she was like a major, major star. I have my own story about Lana Turner. Uh, all I can, from my perspective, all I can tell you is she was eternally young. <laughs> well, could you ever forget the opening shot uh, of her in uh, the Postman Always Rings twice? Right, right. Would they just start at the shoes and just pan on up? Right, right. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, well, real, real briefly, and this is not about me, but I was on the set. I had control of a set with Jane Wyman and Lana Turner in their separate dressing rooms, and neither would come out until the other did first. And oh, really? That, <laughs> that was high tension, I'll put it that way. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, great fun, great fun. So working with William Wellman, that must have been incredible. He was great. Yeah, I love Bill Wellman. You know, he was very, very good. Let's talk about Young Love, your singing career. How did that come about? You know, we... Natalie Wood, Natalie Wood and I were in Chicago on a tour for a film we did called The Burning Hills. And uh, Howard Miller was a big disc jockey there. And um, he said to me... Did you ever think of recording? And I said, well, I used to sing in the choir, and I sing in the shower, but no. He said, how would you feel about recording? I said, well, I've always wanted to. I'd love to. 
He said, well, if I introduce you to Randy Wood at Dot Records and he thinks you've got what it takes to do a record, would you be interested? And I said, well, yes. So he put me in touch with Randy. Randy presented Young Love to me. I sang a little bit of it, and um, they cut the record on Friday. And on Monday morning, I heard it on the car radio driving on Sunset Boulevard and almost hit a palm tree. I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, that is so crazy that it didn't take that long to put it out. I mean, nowadays, it takes months, if not a year. Randy was brilliant. Randy was a brilliant, uh, you know, president of Dot. He was just he was really, really wonderful. That whole organization was wonderful to work for. And in those, da- in, in those days, the recording technology, you sang that in one take, didn't you? I don't remember. I, I know I did a few takes. I think they might have spliced in one other little spot, but I don't really remember. They have their techniques in the, in the sound booth. They know what to do, and I just did the best I could. Well, let's talk about, <clears throat> there's a video online that I recommend people see if they want to see what real courage is, and that is you singing Young Love on the Perry Como show. Oh, my gosh. Perry was the most incredible guy. Natalie and I had done his show a number of times, but this one time he wanted me to sing live, and I said, you've got to be joking. <laughs> so they said, no, no. So, we, so we, I, I did it live on his show, and I was a nervous wreck. And I'll never forget when, they, when when it ended, he walked out and he put his arm around me. And he said, no, that wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was so cool and so mellow. Yeah. You know, nothing would fluster uh, Como. He was just a great guy. Well, what's so endearing about that video is you see a, a guy, you, really kind of sucking it up and becoming a true professional. And at the end of the song, the sigh that you... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that, but that's true. I just was so, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> well, that, that is a, that's a lot of pressure no, to put that, on somebody. I mean, that, yeah. that, just, that just makes... If you, for our audience, please go see that. You will want to give Tab Hunter a big hug. Oh, that's well. That's funny because because I, I know exactly uh, that feeling. I can I, I just do remember that. And little by little, I got used to singing, of course, in public and did shows like Dinah Shore, Bad Boom. You know, gosh, you, you, were really, you were really thrown into the whole pop idol. Well, that's system. how the whole thing starts out. When you when you you know you've got a new name, you're thrown into motion pictures. Where do you serve your apprenticeship? And I almost called my book "Product of Hollywood," but then I I thought no, that's not right. And Ellen came up with the idea of let's call it "Tab Hunter Confidential." You know, product and of Hollywood was, is good, but confidential is better. Right. right. You know. But, well, you know, I got to tell you, it's very funny. That you said uh, I was at the market here in Santa Barbara, and Julia Child was alive then, and she was in her wheelchair, and I used to see her there every Saturday. And she said, Dad, come here, come here. I said, oh, good morning, Julia. She said, how's the book coming along? I said, eh, all right, what about yours? She said, I'm asking you about yours. What are you going to call it? And I said, well, I thought product of Hollywood. And she took a minute and she looked at me. She said, that's not very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I loved her. She was just a great gal. Yeah, yeah, coming from her, coming from her. So you were, you were really part, uh, a, a product again uh, of that machine that created Paul Peterson and Shelley Fabre as pop idols. Well, that's in the music. That's in the music world. But I was part of the the machine that created Tony Curtis and Bob Wagner, and all of us. We had to learn our craft now was there ever a point in your life of that 10 or 15 year span when you were just so hot and and popular that you wanted to quit i was never uh comfortable in that situation you were so young you were so young i did at one point i did want to kind of go and just go and move back to virginia and work with horses because I just would have felt much more relaxed. It was, it was a constant battle with myself. How can you be yourself, or what you think is yourself, when all this other stuff is being thrown at you? Yeah. Um, I found it interesting that in your book you were dealing with your sexuality as well, and that must That's have true. been that must have been so overwhelming for you. Well, I never faced anything. I never faced up to things like that. Uh, I was brought up. If something is, un- if you're uncomfortable with something, push it from your mind. Nowadays, you're encouraged to get everything out, but in those mm-hmm. days, I'm sure that worked for you. 
Well, I think it probably works for a number of people. Right. I mean, it's you know, your life is your life, and it really is nobody else's business. I will uh, give of myself uh, to the point of where I say, no, uh, that doesn't concern you. Now, um, I had read that one of the reasons why you decided to write your book was because you had heard that someone else was going to be writing your biography. Is that true? Well, that is true. Alan came up and he told me, he said, you know, somebody else would be doing a book on you. I think you should do a book. I said, well, who'd want to read a book on Tab Hunter? He said, you'd be surprised. He said, I think you should do it. And I thought, you know, you're right. Get it from the horse's mouth and not from some horse's ass after I'm dead and gone. I love that. Because every time people, you know, after you're gone... People always write the real story, and how the hell do they know? They're just manufacturing a lot of that. Most exactly, of them are, exactly. are, are you, you question, you know? I, I just don't think that's, well, I don't think it's fair. No, I, you know, I've often told Bob, sometimes after the demise of somebody quite famous or a cele- celebrity type, and like you say, all these things come out about them, and I say to Bob, who is around to defend this, to say this You're is not true? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And everybody accepts that, it. No, people people do that. Uh, and also people don't, I don't know, I just think less is more. Well, if that, you want to tell your story, tell it as, as, as it happened. And if people don't understand it, that's their problem, not yours. But. What? Often people are too, too, they're too quick to condemn and criticize. Well, I can, I can hear your mother coming through this. Well, you know, uh, we, this, I look at things today and I think, where are the positive things in life? Good. I don't want to hear the negative things. Come on. Somewhere under the pile of crap, there's got to be a pony. Exactly. And you never, you know, until you walk a mile in a man's shoes, you never know the real truth. Well, that's very true. Very true. Tell us real quickly, once you had been this major, major heartthrob star under the studio system, why did you want to get out of that contract? Well, it was the demi- the, the studio system was, was falling apart. You know, the, the heads of the studios, there, those moguls were fabulous. They knew how to run the business, but the business was changing. Uh-huh. Live TV was coming in. They had to rid themselves of the theaters all, all over the world. Uh, people wanted uh, the influence of European films, real people in real situations. They wanted a whole different, there was a whole different change. Audiences were changing tremendously. So I figured I, I just wanted to be free of the contract because I wasn't getting the, the the work. Everything was on loan out. It wasn't happening at Warner Brothers. Uh, the best thing at Warner Brothers up to that point was probably uh, Damn Yankees. But beyond that, they had they wanted me to do a television show. Like an idiot, I turned it down. It was a really good one, the 77 Sunset Strip. Oh, boy, you would have been perfect, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's all right. I went on to do, uh, you know, Gunman's, I mean, Gunman's Walk at, uh, at Columbia or Pleasure of His Company with Fred Astaire and Debbie Reynolds at uh, Paramount. And then when I bought out my contract, I thought, what? am I going to do now? I did my television series, but that was not a good show at all. So, so, we so, so just take was, a step back. So, so you just mentioned you, you bought out your contract. Are you telling me that you had to write Warner Brothers a check? I couldn't write a check for that amount. That's a lot of money in those days. Yeah. It's a lot of money in these days. But uh, no, I gave him a percentage of everything I made until it was finally paid off. Oh my gosh. That's, that's tough. Yeah. That's, that, but that's I did the, a television that, series that was a disaster. It was on opposite Ed Sullivan. Well, who's going to not watch Ed Sullivan on Sunday night? For gosh sakes. Anyway, then from there I became a pioneer of dinner theater. Went through dinner theater, and then you know the the thing that really revitalized a career for me was John Waters. Tell us about that because that that's well. Become... John called me when I was in Indianapolis. I would just closed a play there, and I had a few weeks off. And he said, my name is John Waters, uh, I've got a script I'd love you to do. Uh, and I said, oh, my God, I'm a big fan of yours. And he said, really? And I said, oh, yeah, I love Pink Flamingos oh, and yeah. Mundo Trasho. Right. <laughs> he said, right. "He said, well, read the script and get back to me. And I did. And he said, well, one thing, how would you feel about kissing a 350-pound transvestite? And I said, well, I'm sure I've kissed a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I loved it. It was one of the best experiences I ever had working with Divine. But I don't even know your name. It's Todd, honey. Todd? Todd tomorrow. <laughs> i got to date the name. <laughs> Read my lips. I love. I love you, too. My darling. 
Then let's make up, you sweet little... John Waters was terrific. Oh, and he was like, you know, your friendly undertaker with his little true, no, he's Margie a true, mustache. Right, he was a true artist. Absolutely. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Absolutely. Yeah, Polly Asher was, was a fun film to do, no question about that. I, I, I see by looking at your IMDb credits, which are extensive, I mean, they're probably record-breaking, well, I'm sure there's a lot of them I'd like to forget. About. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we can all, but you know what? It, it's my, called my, survival. It's exactly. <laughs> I, I look at it this way: any work is good work. You know, I really have to agree with you on that one because people always say, "Why would an actress or why would an actor choose that role?" Well, it's, you know, it's, it's well, called survival, absolutely. Well, and, and also. Uh, when you take a role, you never really know how the film's going to work. Proof of that for in your career is uh, a picture that I've I haven't seen in a long time called Sweet Kill. And yeah, that, that was interesting. And and Curtis Hansen's a pretty decent director and writer. Oh, he was wonderful. It was his, Curtis Hansen's first film. But then, he was wonderful. And Tamara Asayev produced it. You know, she did uh, Santa the Norma Ray film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tamara lives right down the street here. She's right. she's terrific and right. a very good producer. But but things can go off the rails in the middle of production. You just well, I think there are too many. I, I think uh, unfortunately that a lot of outside thinking comes in and dilutes a pure idea. Too many uh, too many cooks spoil the broth. Right. Well, movies that by movies by committee are usually disasters. Right. Movies by committee. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put it. Speaking of Santa Barbara and neighbors, I'm just curious. How did uh... You and uh, Alan come to Santa Barbara. I used to come up here in the 50s and show horses, falling in love with Santa Barbara for years. And when I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Alan called me there and he said, you know, this is difficult for me living here in Los Angeles trying to get our projects done, and you're sitting there riding horses, eating green chili and getting fat as a pig. <laughs> <laughs> living, living the life. So he said to me, he said, how about Santa Barbara? He just threw that out, Ooh. and I said... I said, oh, my gosh, uh, are you kidding? Of course, I'd be doing a heartbeat. So we came up here. We stayed with my friend Joan Harvey. We looked for a place and found this little place. On a personal level, and with respect to Santa Barbara, let me ask you this question. Do you find it easier to be a celebrity here than uh, anywhere else? See, I don't look at it as a celebrity. I look at it as important for you to find a place that's going to help you grow mentally, physically, and spiritually. Mm. And Santa Barbara has that. Yeah. If I weren't here, I'd have to be back east, except I'm a little old for all that cold weather. Oh, you, you, know? you and me both, yes. Right. Oh, gosh. But I do. You know, you have to find a place that makes you feel good. My mother used to say, give me one room in a good area that can pick you up. Right. As opposed to something that's going to be depressing and take you down. Sure. Elevate your thinking was what her what her words were, and I try to do that. And I think it's important for all of us to do that. Well, it certainly comes through. I mean, when I listen to you, uh, I'm listening to somebody with a very high IQ and a real sense of Well, I don't know self. about that. Well, I, no, I, we, <laughs> My I, mother's I, line was, <laughs> Walter's the intelligent one. <laughs> uh, That's because she wanted to make him feel good, too. Right, right, right. You were getting all the attention. So tell us oh, about, God. tell us that there was a, a, a difficult period for you when you and Henry Wilson parted ways. Well, Henry, uh, I guess, Confidential Magazine was a rag magazine that was out in those days, and they were going to be doing a story on Rock Hudson, and Rock was a huge uh, client of Henry's, his number one client. And Henry gave him a story on me that had been published in the newspapers or something when I was just a kid. So he gave that to Confidential to save the uh, rock. But, you know, that's all past. That's all, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, yeah. I, think, but I think that's <clears throat> indicative of... Well, the, we're, we're talking about loyalty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The business part of show business is not always so pretty. I don't want to knock Hollywood, but, you know, there were some wonderful, wonderful times there, of course. If, you know, for your own development, but also there were some pretty difficult times too. Sure. You know, when 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 you know after being in the most popular thing since you know God knows what, where the next day you'd hear someone say, "Oh, you know, he's a has been, or drop dead, or get lost, or you know, you, you know, I mean, they they drop you like a hot potato out there. So you've got to have something else mentally going on that's going to keep you moving forward. And one of the directions you went in, you've you've done some writing. You wrote a picture called Dark Horse, didn't you? 
Yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, Dark Horse and uh, Lust in the Dust. I wrote that with a friend of mine. It was an idea of mine originally called The Reverend and Rosie. You produced Dark Horse as well, is that true? Yeah, we produced it, yeah. How did you come to select David Hemmings as director? That's a good question. I think Alan did that. Uh, I don't know how that came about. David was a wonderful talent, but... uh, the sad thing is a lot of people allow things to dissipate them, you know, and, and take away from their talent. David contributed tremendously to the business, both as an actor. He was a fine and actor. As, oh, he's a yeah. wonderful actor. Yeah. And as a director. And he did a lot for our, our, our film. But, you know, some people, you know, God gave us a great thing called free will. And the most That's important right. thing under that is choice. What we choose to do in life. So please, I tell everyone, let's us all try to make good choices. Boy, that's wonderful advice. Now, Tap, can you explain to our audience, uh, people that have not read your book, but what the book is about? It's about a journey. Uh, everyone's on this journey, and every one of us has our own uh, things we have to work out for ourselves. So make it a good one. <laughs> or try to. <laughs> and, and we don't want to keep you uh, much longer at all, but I do want to know uh, what's going on with the movie right now and what are the future plans for it? Well, we leave for uh, Houston this weekend. Uh, we're going to a film festival there. Then uh, there are a couple of other ones we have to do. It kicked off in South by Southwest in Austin, then we went to London, then we went to Toronto, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Diego, Dallas. I mean, we went to a lot of places, and it played a lot of places that we weren't able to go. In October, uh, we'll be doing the East Coast with uh, Connecticut, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, and then it opens theatrically in October and November Wonderful. in New York and Washington and you know, all of the major cities on the West Coast, and uh, the Landmark Theaters are going to distribute it, and I was very, very excited to hear that. Well, the word on the, the word on the street, and, and we talked to a lot of people in Hollywood who uh, are competitors of yours in the filmmaking business, is that you will be sitting at the Motion Picture Academy uh, next award season. I don't know. It's easier to watch at home on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but. <laughs> and a better show is the and a better show than the Academy Awards. I think of the Tonys. Yeah. yeah. So listen, I'm on my way to go to see my horse. I'm, I've got to do that. I Tab, we can't. To. We can't thank. But you. I thank you all very, very, very much. We can't thank and, you uh, enough. We, all, we yeah, only we only wish that Cafe Luna was still open so we could thank you in person. Oh, isn't that a shame? Oh, the dogs God. loved it because you could take your dogs outside there. That was That's great. Right. Um, it ruined our our month. It really did. Okay, thank you so much, Tab. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Right. You bet. Okay, okay be okay, well. Bye-bye. Be well. I could have talked to him for hours. How about you? I thought that was terrific. I really enjoyed talking to people who come from someplace inside, and you can feel the courage and even the, I, I don't want to say discipline, but there's an intelligence, and and you know he's always been very articulate. But there's a certain intellect going on there, and it was just terrific. I thought he was incredibly open and so generous with his time. I just really encourage people if they have not read his book called Tab Hunter Confidential, I encourage everyone to pick up the book, and it's a great insight into his life, into his childhood, and I just love the character that his mother how it was portrayed. It was fabulous. You must have been fascinated because I saw you reading it late into the night. Well, you know, as you know, um, every time we interview someone who has a book out, we try very hard to read that book so we can get an insight about what their life was like. And uh, his his particular book was a quick read. I think I read it uh, in one night. Good stuff. And he has this new movie out called Confidential that's making the festival circuit. Nation- I mean, he's flying around the country he's, like crazy. He sounds very busy. I yeah. think it's going to be out in October. Yeah. Can't wait to see that one. And um, I just want to remind our growing audience of listeners to be sure to check out our website at wherehollywoodhides.com for show notes, photos, and the latest in showbiz news. And please click on to our Amazon banner to take you directly to the world's biggest online shopping mall. Whatever you're looking for, whether it's books to movies, pet supplies, oh, you know, school is starting, so school supplies. That's right. It's at Amazon.com, and the links at WhereHollywoodHides.com are the quickest way to do your shopping. You'll be glad you did it, and so will we. So I have a real sincere question for you, a very personal question. What is that? 
Are you going to go to Amazon at wherehollywoodhides.com for my birthday present? Oh, yes. Happy birthday, Bob. You have a birthday this week. That's right. Please buy something on Amazon through our website. Will do. And here's the hard sell. Go to our website and take a look at Where Hollywood Hides Santa Barbara, Celebrities in Paradise. It's a hardcover, full-color book, and it details the careers of many of the celebrities who are really neighbors here in Santa Barbara. And soon to be in paperback book. Right. So we're pretty busy this summer, aren't we? Talk about summer. Has it not been hot? Yeah, it's incredible. I'm ready for things to change a little bit. We're so spoiled here, right? Yeah, we are. We are. Anyway, thanks to Tab Hunter and Alan Glazer for making this happen. It was a wonderful conversation and wish them all the best on the tour with the new movie. Another of our great sponsors you really should check out is 1-800-Flowers.com. Go to our... Oh, yes. Flowers.com. That's a great idea. 1-800-Flowers.com has a banner on our website and they are the preeminent floral delivery really nationwide great value great service so this is suzanne herrera mccullough and bob mccullough and we'll see you at the movies and today's music is provided by chance mccullough you can find more of his original soundtracks at chance mccullough.com from Chillicothe's and Paducah's with their bazookas to get their names up in lights. All armed with photos from local rotos with their hair in ribbons and legs in tights. Hooray for Hollywood. You have no way of knowing who You'll be another Papa D on your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his five. Hooray for Hollywood.